Welcome to Massive Late Fee. And now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Hello, everyone. It is April 22nd, 1994. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me, as always, is my girlfriend, Carol. How are you doing, Carol? Hey, what's up? So we've had a good week here at Massive Late Fee. Seems like a lot of you are interested in the program. And I guess we'll jump right into the news. I don't have a lot of preamble. I never know what to do with the preamble to our show. The getting to know you section. We talk about movies and TV shows and pop culture. Don't you think at this point most people listening to the show know what we're going to talk about? Every every episode is somebody's first episode. Okay. My grandfather that worked in radio during World War One told me that once. Okay. That's not true. He died before I was born. What? Um, <laughs> the news today. Liar. So Roseanne... Bar Arnold and Tom Arnold have been going through some problems. I'm sure that you guys have been keeping up a little bit on that news. Apparently, there were accusations that he abused her, hit her, things like that, and had an affair. Well, he's denying that, saying he'd like to reconcile with her. It's a big, it's a whole big kerfluffle. Have you, have you kept up on any of this, Carol? Well, I, I mean, I've definitely heard about it. It's not surprising to me that Tom Arnold and Roseanne are having issues. I mean, he's the guy that plays Arnie, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I mean, he seems like kind of a... A hack comedian that got famous because he attached his star to the wagon of uh, another very more uh, successful and funny comedian. Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of what he is. Yeah. And, um, you know, Roseanne's always a little off. Yeah, I can't... I don't know that I could ever envision someone hitting her <laughs> right. and she living. She seems a little tough. But... I don't know. I mean, not to make light of domestic abuse if it happened, but I know that at least Tom has some problems with (laughs) some substances. Well, and you know, I mean, that could definitely change his usual behavior and, you know, make it much more likely for him to be violent or cheat on her or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't get into personal lives of celebrities very often that's not that's not a thing that really interests me the gossip magazines things like that but yeah i don't know i don't know about this one i don't think they're going to get back together i would be kind of shocked if she went back with him i know she was fully invested and on board totally in love with him changed her name from roseanne Barr, iconic at that point to roseanne arnold yeah I think maybe she's going to go back to bar. We'll see. But I I don't know. I I would be surprised if they got back together. I just don't see this match working out. Yeah, me either. Honestly, it's hard to imagine either one of them working out with anyone. So, additionally, another news item. Howard Stern is now back as the number one radio personality in Los Angeles. He was briefly replaced in a shocking upset 
by a morning drive team. You know, the, you know how they do on the radio the, uh, the hey, I'm Johnny Fuckface, you know, uh, yeah. that, that kind of stuff. Um, have you listened to a lot of Howard Stern? No. Not a fan? No. I've heard some of his program. It's it's interesting, to say to say the least. He does some interesting things, but you're not you're not into the Baba Booey and all that stuff. I don't even know what that means. That's a thing. Okay, I'm not into it. Well, that really kind of cuts off the conversation <laughs> if you have nothing to say about it. I'm sorry. I, I've never ever listened to Howard Stern. I have no idea what he's like. You've never once listened to his program. No. Wow. Well, uh, I guess I'll educate you a little. Howard Stern is a popular radio personality. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of him. He used to be on... Oh, man, I can't remember the name of the station anymore. But he used to be on a station here in Detroit. Before he was nationally syndicated, He his home was a station here in Detroit. He didn't start here, but he came here. And in radio... You end up getting fired a lot and moving around a lot. Even if you're not controversial like Howard Stern. That's just how the business works for some reason. But he was here before... It was, it's the country station now. They went country and I can't... And obviously that, that didn't fit Howard Stern. Yeah, I can't think of the name of... Uh... But uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the station. But I remember he was on there for a little while and they went country. And then obviously he left. And now his show is syndicated all around the country. Out of New York, I believe. They they still broadcast out of New York. Okay. As far as I remember correctly. Because I don't listen to the show that much either, honestly. I don't listen to a whole ton of radio. A little bit. When, when I'm driving places, I'll listen to music usually. I don't listen to a lot of talk stuff. Even irreverent shows like Howard Stern. Okay. But, so you don't like, what What? what don't you like about, what don't you think you'd like about the show? Well, I mean, I, I just, it's kind of raunchy, right? Yeah, they, I, he has porn stars on and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like the same kind of like dumb humor that movies use, but on radio... A little bit. I would say probably. That's so correct. You know how I feel about dumb humor in movies. I don't think I'd like it any better on the radio. I know you're too high class for the dumb movie. Don't be a jerk. What? You're being all sarcastic. I don't like it. Well, you can't... Sometimes it would be nice if you could just let go and enjoy something that's below your your education level or your, your IQ. Are you trying to say that I'm acting like snooty or stuck up or something? I would never say that. I would only intimate that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you're you're going to have some problems tonight, mister. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, I, there's, there's some movies that I've heard coming up in the future that are dumb movies that we might see. Yeah, we might see them. And I will still not enjoy them. Deal with it. All I'm saying is live a little. 
I do. I watch the dumb movies. It's not like I'm in some bubble. I just don't enjoy them. But that's what I'm saying. Give, give it over. Like, just release all this and, and just allow the dumb humor to wash over you. What in the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. Like, you want me to have a personality transplant or no, something? No, I want to turn your brain off for for a little bit. I do all the time, like when I'm talking to you. <laughs> anyway, I watched shows this week. What'd you watch? I watched 90210 and it was awesome. Okay. Was it dumb? No, it all was right. not. It was very highbrow and enjoyable college humor well i didn't watch this episode with you because i was playing basketball Uh uh-huh so so i'll have to fill you in yeah and and everyone else listening yeah so hopefully none of you have seen it but hopefully all of you have seen it because it's great but you know well hopefully yeah hopefully you've seen it because you'll have to wait till the summer to see it again so brent the episode starts off with brenda in the library and, um, That's Shannon Doherty? Yes. In a library? Yes. All right. This isn't the first time she's been in the library. So she plays against type on this show. Apparently. What are you trying to... First you're insulting me, now you're insulting Shannon Doherty. I am insulting everyone today. Yeah. Is it your time of the month? Wow. Well, I think our cycles are synced, so... <laughs> hey. Anyway... So she's in the library, and she's looking on microfilm, like, reading up about a director. It's kind of weird. It's like you're seeing everything she's looking at. Like, what kind of class is she looking this up for? Well, she's not. She is looking this up because she's going to audition for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. The Tennessee Williams play. Yeah. And apparently there's this director that's, like, known for discovering, you know, new young talent and She's going to be auditioning for him, and she wanted to know all about him. I don't understand her thought process on that. Like, knowing the director shouldn't really affect how you perform in an audition. Let me ask a question. He's known for discovering new young talent. Is there a couch in his audition? (laughs) Well, you know, he's actually quoted for having said that he wishes that there was a bedroom attached to his theater. There you go. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. So I don't think she really needs to know him unless she's talking about the biblical sense <laughs> in order to get discovered. But yeah, I guess I see what you're saying. I mean, maybe I think what would be helpful is knowing what he looks for, which you're not going to find in microfilm stories really. Right. She I think it would be better if she talked to other people that auditioned for him or worked with him and ask them about his likes and dislikes as far as actresses go. Right. And, you know, she actually, on top of this, does kind of get that same opportunity because she physically runs into him in a coffee shop. And um, What a small world. Right. In the one week that she's thinking about auditioning, she happens to run into him. <laughs> well, he's not even usually in town, I don't think, but so it's even weirder. But, um, so he... Was this at the Peach Pit? No, it was at a coffee shop. Okay. I think. Now I'm questioning myself. Maybe it was the Peach Pit. 
Yeah, because the girls were there. Yeah, maybe it, it was the peach pit. Anyway. Um, he, they're, like, flirting with each other, and, like, he's, like, smiling at her and following her with his eyes after they've run into each other. But while they're talking, um, he, he tells her that he thinks that the part should be played as, um, a dangerous, desperate woman. Okay. So, um, you know, I mean, to get, to get that kind of... I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, because she's auditioning for Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. I figured. And um, she goes over and her friends are like, oh, I think you scored. Because he's just staring after her and stuff. So, you know, you get the impression that something's going to happen there with them. Well, she asks Kelly to... Actually, Kelly offers to read with her to help her study. And while they're reading, there's this smaller part. And uh, Brenda says she thinks Kelly's doing a really good job with it. And she should audition for the smaller part. Kelly's all like, oh, I don't have much theater experience. I don't know, blah, 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 not my scene. But she talks her into coming to auditions with her. Obviously a mistake. Right. I can see where this is going. Right. So. Plus, she... Kelly doesn't have the same fucked up teeth as Brenda does. <laughs> no, Kelly, I mean, I think they're both attractive, but I think Kelly's a little bit more attractive than Brenda. Yeah, um, I guess. She's the blonde one, right? Yeah. And she she wanders in late. Okay. And you can tell he's looking at her just the way he was looking at Brenda when she walks in. And so she is the last one to audition. When he says next, Brenda's already gone, she gets up and walks out of the theater. He follows her out of the theater and asks her, you know, where are you going? You've waited all day, you know. <laughs> Aren't you going to audition? And she's like, I'm, I'm just too nervous. I can't do it. And... Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I've been waiting all day to hear you read. And um, he talks her into coming back in. And apparently, we find out later in the episode, they go out for cappuccino afterwards. After she auditions? Mm-hmm. There's no casting director or anything else in this audition? Well, no, there's a, a stage uh, manager was with him. Wait, this is for a play? Yeah. Okay. I was thinking this was for a movie. No. I guess... Yeah, that makes more sense, I suppose, for a play. But usually I would think you'd have the director, I guess maybe not a casting director, that's more of a Hollywood movie thing, I believe. Yeah, no, this but is just theater. But yeah, stage manager, some of the other crew people would mm -hmm. probably be there, I would imagine. Yeah, the, w the way that it gets found out that she went out with him afterwards is because of the crew is talking to people and, you know, mentioned it, that he's like her number one runner. So... Brenda calls her, and all she says is, oh, sorry, I didn't call you back last night. It was so late when I got home from rehearsal, I just went right to sleep. Does not tell her anything that's happened, that he got her to read for Maggie, even though that's not what she was originally auditioning for or anything. Brenda goes to look at callback list and finds that her, Kelly, uh, one other girl that we'll get into in a minute that we know, and two other people are, are in line for that part. So Okay. So they're now against each other. Out of five. Um, and then that's when she finds out because somebody tells her about the cappuccino and stuff. And they're like, hey, if you have friends like that, who needs enemies? Interesting. Especially because she was actually telling her dad earlier in the episode how Kelly's really trying to uh, maintain their friendship. Is Ke Kelly's the one that's dating her ex-boyfriend? Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of history here. Yeah. This is, this is not good. Um, so this other girl... 
this this girl now there's some big backstory that I don't know and I wish I did but apparently she accused um, Steve Ian Ziering's character of date rape a long time ago that's the only way he'd get laid <laughs> and um, so she is also auditioning for this play she's the, one of the other ones that makes it and he's walking down the hall and hears somebody screaming, you know, help me and stuff. So he busts into the room and it's her room and she's just reading lines. And she's like, what are you doing here? And then somehow, even though they they admit they've been avoiding each other and all this stuff, they, they end up like talking. He's just busted in her room while she's in her pajamas reading. She's accused him of date rape in the past and somehow this turns into a, hey, let me help you. So he's going to help her study the lines for this. So he's both ugly and dumb. Right? Like, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near her. No. That, that, I, I agree. It's crazy. I mean, granted, though, there's probably a lot more to the story that we don't know, because, you know, I stopped watching. You'll have to catch up during the summer. Right. So, and then, it, I mean, it looks like something's going to happen with them, because, like, when they're reading lines, there's, like, this really, like, heavy scene where... You know, I have, I'll be honest, I like Tennessee Williams. I want to read this play now because I have never read it. And um, I've read it. I've seen it performed. Okay. Because she's like all over him, like about to kiss him and stuff. And, um, you know, I have no idea what's going on, but it seems like, like it would be good. Did you enjoy it? It's an interesting play. See, I didn't know what it meant, but it seems like it's a cat in heat. Yes, basically, yes, correct. Okay, so I didn't, I didn't. And... It's subtextual, but the man she's married to is gay. Okay. The The guy that plays the male part, I cannot remember his name uh, for the life of me. But he, it's, it's, like I said, it's subtextual. It's not overt, but it's clear that he's not interested in her sexually because he's, he's gay. Okay. And he is closeted and won't admit it. So sad. Yeah, that's part of what the play's about. So she's just dying for somebody to have sex with her because her husband won't? Basically, yes. Okay. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on there, and you can't really tell if it's just her being in the character or what, but he's obviously, like, freaked out because she's all over him and stuff. So we'll see what happens there. Um, what else do we have? Oh, Brendan. So th- Brendan and... Brenda and Brandon's parents go out of town. And so Brenda is house-sitting across the street for the couple that go with them. So she's by herself in the house across the street, and Brandon has this house to himself. His, like, the, what is it, a chancellor of the university. I didn't, I didn't even know chancellor was a thing outside of, like, Star Wars. Yes. Uh, in certain universities, it's called the university president in... I, th- I think this is how it works. I'm wildly speculating here. Okay. But I believe that in certain universities, I think it's a difference between public and private. It's a university president. It's basically the, the head administrator of the university. And in, in certain other universities, it's chancellor. It's the same thing, I believe. Okay. Uh, because, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's how it goes. Because I don't think it's like a regent. Like here in Michigan... For the University of Michigan and Michigan State University, there's a president and then there's regents, which is basically the members of the board. And they are who help administer the school. 
whether it's the athlete, you know, it, handling the athletic programs, like they'll they'll hire and fire the athletic director, who's the head of the athletic department, and then make decisions about faculty as well on the education side. Uh, they help regulate fraternities, just a bunch of different things that have to do with living in college, whether mm-hmm. it's making deals with places that want to have businesses there, like eateries in their you know lunch area for people that live on campus, stuff like that. And I believe president and chancellor are the same thing. Okay. If not, then chancellor would be equivalent to regent for us here. So a member of the board. But either way, a member of the administrative team for the, the school. Okay. So Brandon is working for this chancellor of the university. Mm-hmm. And he has this giant thing he gives him to read. And he wants him to... Which one's Brandon? Brenda's brother, uh, Jason Priestley. Okay. And um, Brandon says... Well, I'm going to have the whole house to myself this weekend. You know, I'll, that's all I'll be doing. I'll get it taken care of. Because he wants him to read it and write him a report, basically condensing this information down. Gotcha. Chancellor's daughter is obsessed with Brandon. She just turned 18, because she at one point earlier <laughs> in the episode... Mentions that she's 18? Yeah, she, she says, there's no longer jailbait written on my forehead. That's what she says to him, because apparently there was some background here. And she's trying to get him to go out with her. And he's like, no, thank you, (laughs) ma'am. So she overhears this conversation and knows he's by himself. She shows up at his door with an overnight bag. What a presumptuous little skank. Yeah, that is presumptuous. And he lets her in. Of course he does. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing. It's like delivery. You know, turn that down. But here's the thing. He spends the entire time telling her, you can't stay, you can't stay, I'm busy, I want to get this report done for your dad, and blah, blah, blah. Well, that is mixed messaging. Right. She tells him that she has nowhere to go because she has lied to her father and said she's going to a friend's house, and this friend is with a guy of her own. So he's like, fine, you stay down here, I'm going upstairs to work on this report. In the mansion they live in, right? They live in a mansion, It's a don't pretty they? big house, but not a mansion. But they still live at home? They commute to school? Yeah. They don't live on campus? Yeah, they live at home. Okay. So, then she uh, comes in his room wearing a nightie. What do their parents do? I don't know. I think the dad's like a lawyer or something. Okay. And the mom's dead? No, mom's there. I don't, I don't think she does anything. Where are they this weekend? Um, they bid for charity on some vacation deal that the neighbors are going with them for so they're doing that okay so they're off to a swingers retreat with the neighbors right (laughs) so So, just we have to put more sex into this episode somehow right so she comes in in a nightie and he is you know telling her no 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 leave 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 blah 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 she handcuffs herself to his bed what the hell right i mean she's like hell bent on getting this guy and he's like, okay, you want to sleep in here? Go ahead. Turns the light off and walks out of the room. Does he take the key? Oh, no. He asked her where the key was. And she's like, somewhere on me, you're going to have to find it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he, he he does not sleep with her. She's pulling out all the stops. Right? What does she look like? She's very hot. Okay. I'm impressed. <laughs> I guess. 
Wait, you just think he's stupid? So he can save himself for you? What what impresses you <laughs> about about this? Well, just the fact that he has the willpower to, you know, stick to his morals and turn her down. Only on TV. Probably. But, I mean, if he really cares so much about what her dad thinks, and she's still in high school, you know? She's 18, though. But still in high school. How old is he? Like, 20? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, um, anyway, I mean, she just says, you know, she really likes him and kisses him goodbye in the morning, and that's the end of that. But So nothing really happened there, except that he has iron testicles. And he got his reading done. One would assume, but he he said he, he was very distracted, so. So that's, that's pretty much the episode, except it leaves off on this cliffhanger where we don't know what's going to happen with this part of Maggie, and I can't wait for next week to find out who gets it. All right, so I guess tune in next week to see who plays Maggie and Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. <laughs> and maybe hear my um, review of Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. Oh, you're going you're gonna to read it or watch it? Yeah. Maybe not by next week, but yes. There's a movie, you know. Well, I like to read. I'm just saying there's a movie. Okay, well, maybe we'll do the movie review. Elizabeth Taylor. So an old movie. Well, an older movie. I mean, Tennessee Williams. How, how how old do you think that is? Right. But speaking of movies, our movie for this week, we saw the number one film at the theater, Bad Girls, starring Madeline Stowe, Mary Stuart Masterson, Andy McDowell, and uh, Hollywood's original bad girl, Drew Barrymore. Right. She's tried to clean her act up recently, it seems like, but obviously she went through a period of some pretty hard living. Yeah, I I like Drew Barrymore, though. I feel bad for her. She had a rough start. Yeah, well, she didn't have the best role models in Hollywood. Hollywood royalty. You're aware of that, right? Yeah. Lionel and John Barrymore were her parents somehow. I'm just joking. I was so confused because I don't know who those people are, and um, they're both guys, right? Yeah, John Barrymore was an actor in the, I want to say the 20s or the 30s, probably 30s, 30s, 40s, early, early days, and Lionel Barrymore was his brother. John Barrymore is her grandfather, Lionel Barrymore is her great uncle, Okay, and her... John Barrymore's son, I believe, is, yeah, is her father. Okay. But, yeah, so, anyway, Hollywood royalty. This movie uh, takes place in the Old West around the turn of the century. I don't believe they actually give us a solid year. No, they don't. At one point, they reference that the population of the United States is now 63 million. Kind of out of nowhere. I don't know if that's a context clue for what year it is. Maybe. But that would put them around 1890-ish. Okay. So they are prostitutes in a town called Echo in Colorado. And at the beginning of the movie, they they end up leaving this town and sort of they want to go off on their own kind of thing. They're they're basically they're four women trying to make their way in the old west. I would say that's probably the uh, the elevator pitch summary of the film. Yeah. 
a lot of costuming. Oh yeah, very. It's very nice to look at. Uh, it's an oddly directed film, but I guess I guess I don't know what the best way to do it is probably to go through the plot of the movie and then we can give our our thoughts of it. Sure. Afterwards, so as I said, they're prostitutes in Echo, Colorado, at the beginning of the film. And Mary Stuart Masterson is with this guy that wants a kiss for his birthday. Apparently, he's some sort of colonel. We find out later. I don't know what, if he's a current colonel in the army, if he's a retired colonel from perhaps the, the Civil War or some of the Indian Wars that occurred at the time, or if he's just a southern guy they call colonel. No idea. Right. But he's not uh, a very good shot. Apparently, he wants to be uh, Colonel Angus. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, he tries to he tries to kiss Mary Stuart Masterson, and she doesn't do that. She is a high class professional sex worker, and she does not kiss on the lips, as Julia Roberts taught us. <laughs> uh, actually, I believe Laura Sangiacomo taught us in that movie, but Julia Roberts just abides by it. Right. So, she he's chasing her out in this bar. Um, what is her name? I I can't. Uh, I'm trying to keep all oh, these. Oh God, words. I don't remember anybody's name. Mary Mary Stuart Masterson, and I'm trying to keep all their names straight in my head. It's not Annie McDowell, and it's not Drew Barrymore. It's the other one I already said. She's the leader. And she's, she is playing cards, it looks like. We, yeah. never, we never quite see what oh, she's she doing. she was playing cards. But she's playing cards while this is all happening. He ends up slapping Mary Stuart Masterson. And she, the leader says, you know, if you touch her again, you're a dead man, basically. And he gets offended by this, pulls out his gun, and shoots at her two or three times. All he hits is her mug of beer. Yeah. It doesn't... And it also doesn't look like they're warning shots. I think he was actually trying to hit her. Oh, yeah. But he's drunk and apparently not very practiced with his pistol. So she pulls out her gun and shoots him dead in the chest. Everyone freaks out about this. At the same time, there is a preacher coming through town... Basically saying, get rid of sin, get rid of the drinking. With and the like whole... a religious mob following behind him. Right. So they come in and they're going to hang her. They grab her. They're going to take her away and hang her. The other girls, they pack up all their stuff in a wagon. And they they come to her rescue. And they end up getting away. They stop at the grave of Mary Stuart Masterson's husband. Who died of cholera. Or the cholera is uh-huh. his... As his headstone says, or his little yeah. commemorative—I don't know what you want to call it—but it's not—it's not a—it's not, a, not an actual stone. It looks like it's carved in wood, yeah, something like that. But it's a grave marker. Yeah. So she basically gives this. We we get a little information on her character here, where she says that you know she she's ashamed of kind of what she's become after he's died and everything. And she never kisses anyone on the lips. That's why she wouldn't kiss this guy. Because she doesn't kiss anybody but her husband. Right. So, 
we go back to the town very briefly and the I don't know I don't even know what she is they they do not inform this character in any way I don't know if she's the mayor of the town a prominent figure in the town if she's even from this town at all but it's an old woman that comes by in a uh, horse and buggy and it's made clear by the dialogue that the colonel was her husband right and now he's dead. She's upset about all this thing. She's upset at these prostitutes. And she's hiring Pinkerton detectives to find her. Do you know anything about the Pinkerton detectives? You know, do you know what it's a reference to? No, what it's I didn't from? know it was a thing. I just figured they were like brothers with the last name Pinkerton or something. Oh, no, like the Thompson twins? Sure. <laughs> do you remember the Thompson twins? No. Okay, well, the Thompson Twins were a band in the 80s. They sang that Hold Me Now song. Oh, I like that song. They uh, they got their name from two police officers in The Adventures of Tintin, uh, the French. It's like a cartoon, basically. Okay. But Tintin was like a detective, and the Thompson Twins were these two bumbling police officers. But the the Pinkerton uh, Detective Agency was founded by Alan Pinkerton in 1850. And they were a private security guard detective agency in various parts of the world. Uh, they He became famous when he claimed to have foiled a plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln hired the agents for his personal security during the Civil War. I don't know if he fired them before he was actually assassinated, but it seems like that would have been a black eye if they had, right? been, if they had been involved with that. But they did military contracting. They had the agency, the detective agency, and they were one of the largest private law enforcement agencies in the world at, at one point. Okay. So there's also a uh, tangential, well, a c- coincidental connection to the that Pinkerton from, uh, I think it's Madam Butterfly. Okay. But anyway, so that's who they were. Now I'm I'm just confused though that she's so angry that they you know killed her husband, but she doesn't seem at all upset that you know her husband was visiting a prostitute. I no, don't get that. She just blames the woman. That's yeah. that's what always happens. The women get blamed in this situation. But yeah, I agree. So she hires them. She gives them, she throws them a bag of what we presume is coins. I assume gold coins, maybe silver, who knows. And she says, oh, that's just a taste. Now this is the most elite detective agency in the world at this point. So they track them very well. They, they had stopped, they stopped for camp. They come up with this plan. Mary Stuart Masterson says that she has a claim on land in the Oregon Territory. Mm-hmm. Or, or it might be an actual state at this point. I don't think so, though. Maybe. I don't remember when Oregon became a state. But she says she has a land grant there that her and her husband had. And they can start a sawmill. A female-run sawmill in the Oregon Territory. So, 
you know, they basically the the leader agrees, says, okay, you know, this is this is what we'll do. We'll we will go there, but it, it's going to take money. And I have twelve thousand dollars that I've saved in eighteen. It's a lot of money. That's eighteen ninety. So she says, I have it saved at this bank. I've been wiring it there every every week or every month or whatever for years. So they go, you know, they start going to Texas to to um to get the money. And the Pinkertons are right behind them, you know, they've they've tracked them effectively. And they get to Texas. She goes in and she doesn't have the bank book. So she says, you know, I know you have to have my signature somewhere. I remember signing for something. And he says, okay, you know, the banker, he goes and gets the thing. It looks like everything's going to work out. He's right. being He's being very amenable to them. And the Pinkertons show up, though, in Texas. Oh, before this, too, they they are all bathing in this creek, swimming. Oh, yeah. And they're all naked. And what is his name? Dermot Mulrooney shows up. And basically tells them that he has... Josh. That's his name, Josh? Yeah. I forget. But he says, Josh says that he's got a gold mine in the Klondike territory that he's going to work on. He's got a lot of gold in there. But he's taking care of some business first. Says, I wanted to show you this. Shows her a wanted poster of herself. And says, you know, we're riding in the same direction. I just wanted to let you know that they're looking for you. And that Pinkertons, it's like, like it's a big thing, you know, Pinkertons are looking for you. Mm-hmm. So you'd better keep moving because everyone knows how world famous they are for tracking. Okay. So, so warned, they go to Texas. Everything seems to be working out, like I said. But the Pinkertons show up in Texas the other girls are trying to warn her, let's hurry this up, come on, come on, come on, we gotta get this money and go. And the Pinkertons break in, you know, they're like, the Pinkertons are here, kind of thing. <laughs> and they pull guns, they're gonna arrest her, they start pulling her back. They come out, and the bank is being robbed. Right. And someone's got a gun to one of the Pinkerton guys' heads. Says, drop your weapons. And um, he says, the, it, it's clear, pretty pretty clear, it's pr- pretty soon into the proceedings, that, I still can't remember her name, the leader. Yeah. That she has history with mm-hmm. this bank robber. And he says, what were you here for? And she said, just getting my money. And he says, well, you know, give it to her. So he gives her the 12000 They uh They go out. Then he stops her and takes her money back and says, you know where to find me, and rides off. Yep, pulls it right out of her brassiere. Yep, and, uh, and, they, and rides off. So now they need to go after their money. So they, they camp again, and she says that she can go get it, basically. That all that was was an invitation from him to go see her like they have some sort of flirtation or something like that so anyway she ends up saying she's going to go alone she's going to get the twelve thousand dollars and she's going to come back so that's what she does 
she goes there. We see that, I believe, I get the impression that's his dad. It is his dad. Okay. And I got the impression that maybe there was something going on with her and the dad initially. Really? You got that impression initially? Well, because he said something to her about how, you know, he, referring to the son, always wants what I have. Okay. You know, and just the way he said it and, like, the familiarity between them. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. That becomes clear later in the movie. But anyway, so Robert Loja plays his dad, the guy from Big. Very different role for him. Right. And Madeline Stowe. That's her name. Okay. So Madeline Stowe goes to this guy, Kid. uh, I can't remember his... Kelly? Kid Kelly. Yeah, I think that's what it is. But anyway, she goes to him. And basically says, you know, that she came for the money and everything. She needs the money. And he refuses. I mean, at first it seems like he's going to give it to her, but he's just toying with her. And he ends up lashing her with his whip around her neck. Yeah, and pulling her back to him. And then it cuts And we go back to the other woman. Which we had seen when they were bathing in the creek that she has all these whip marks on On her her back. back. Yeah. These healed over marks. Oh, during the whole, I forgot to mention this. During the entire bank robbery fiasco, they grab Andy McDowell thinking that she's part of it. Yeah. And they put her in prison. This, This is a fun little scene. They deputize this guy that has a ranch. And have her arrest arrest her and take her to the jail. So he takes her to the jail. She's trying to flirt with him, trying to say, just let me out. And he's like, I, you know, I wish I could, but I really can't do it and everything. So they're, they're waiting for Madeline Stowe to come back so they can break her out. And it's been a long time. She hasn't come back yet. So... They end up saying, you know, screw it, we're, we're just going to break Andy McDowell out of jail. So they try to attach rope to her <laughs> bars and pull it with a horse, trying to pull iron out of a stone building with a horse. Does not work out. Right. So Drew Barrymore comes in to the front and she is, she's flirting with the other jailer. Yeah, she's distracting them. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember how exactly, how does exactly does she get out? I don't remember what happens to the other. Oh, oh he, he lets her out. Yeah, that's right. He the other jailer that's there hears the noise from the horse outside, and he goes out to investigate. And Mary Stuart Masterson just cold cocks him with uh, something. I don't, yeah. I don't even know what it was—a piece of wood or something like that. But but then Andy McDowell convinces the guy, rancher. Right as the other, they, the one girl was running up there with the key. Like, they didn't actually need him to let her out at that point, but she didn't know. And he did. Yeah, he let her out. And he he had told her where he lived. The Circle T Bar, Circle, Circle Bar T Ranch. <laughs> That's the name of his ranch. So, they all get out. They go and they say, we don't know where Madeline Stowe is. She went to this Kid Kelly and she hasn't come back. So they're going to try to look for her, but they're going to go to this to this ranch to lay low while they look for her. 
Um, in the meantime, Josh, Dermot Mulrooney, mm-hmm. he finds her on a horse, basically just left for dead. Yeah. Com- like, completely beaten, whipped, all this stuff. So he takes her to a uh, someone he knows, apparently, in Texas. I don't know how he knows this person. Or if it's just someone he hired. But it's yeah, a I think chi- he, he paid them. It's a Chinese woman that's going to help heal the wounds. And as we come to find out, what she does is I think she's mixing gunpowder and then, you know, creating a flash to cauterize her wounds. Oh. So that they, because she's profusely bleeding from her back. Before this happens, the Pinkertons show up. They're still looking. It's still pretty much the same town that they've been in. I mean, I think that maybe they're a little outside of town. But they show up and they ask him where she is. And he lies and says that she went up the river with Kid Kelly. and Because they say, why didn't you do anything about it if you saw her? Because there's a reward for her. And he said, well, she was with Kid Kelly and, you know, I didn't, I wasn't man enough or whatever to go after him. And they're, they're all excited. They're like, oh, both of them together. So they go off and this is the, almost the last we see of them. They're gone. They're gone from the movie. Mm-hmm. They'd be, I guess they're the B antagonists. And then the main antagonist is this Kid Kelly yeah. character. The uh, serial female abuser. And worse, as we'll find out later. <clears throat> but, so he heals her, and the the women find her. And basically, at some at some point, they, they convey the information of where they're going to be. So once she's healed, he brings her back there. The rancher comes back <laughs> and sees all these people in his house, gets angry, goes out and stomps around outside, comes back and then says that he hasn't had anyone here since his entire family died. There's there's several characters in here whose whole families have died. Yeah, and, and Kid <clears throat> Kelly is the one that murdered his whole family. No. No, it's his dad. Nope, you're thinking of the wrong person. I am? Yeah, the rancher's family wasn't murdered by Kid oh, Kelly. Oh, yeah, you're right. The rancher's family just died. He doesn't yeah. explain how. Okay. But... I guess that's the reality of living in that time period. Yeah. As you said when we were in the theater watching this, that you're glad we don't live in that time period. Yeah. But, so, he says that, you know, he should be hospitable and welcome them and everything. So, they, you know, he allows them to stay there. <clears throat> they don't have the money. They need the money. So, what they decide to do is they know that this guy is going to be planning to rip off this train of military equipment that's coming through. Guns and stuff like that. There's a big Gatling gun being shipped. So they do, and all the rest of the the girls and the rancher and uh, Dermot Mulrooney's character, at this point, this is when he reveals that the unfinished business that he has is to kill the dad, Robert Loja. Because the dad killed his his whole family, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then he wants to do that before he goes to this to this uh, gold mine in the Klondike that he owns. So he's going to help them with this. So they're all there, and they're ready to ambush them. And their plan basically is to steal the military equipment from them, and then sell it back to them for the twelve thousand dollars, so they can go and start this sawmill in Oregon. 
Such a weird plan. Yeah, it really is. But it, it goes off almost without a hitch. They, this guy, the Josh character, he has dynamite for some reason. He throws a lot of it. It spooks the horses and does nothing else. <laughs> Somehow all this dynamite that he's throwing kills no one, damages no equipment. It just, it, it lands right by a guy at one point and he just, almost like a cartoon, jumps up and runs with like his hands on his back like his butt's catching fire or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, so they get the military equipment but Drew Barrymore gets kidnapped. And they kidnap Robert Loja. So they shoot him and then they kidnap him. So they're going to ransom him back for Drew Barrymore and then they're going to give the military equipment for the money. That's anticipating a lot of cooperation. Yeah, exactly. So, I'll I'll tell you what happens to Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore gets raped in this film. Yeah. He, uh, the Kid Kelly guy, basically has her put on a dress that Madeline Stowe used to wear. Then he rapes her, and then he's going to let his other friend rape her. In the meantime, at the because uh, I'm trying to do this in chronological order, back at the ranch, they hold Robert Loja's character, and he's antagonizing everyone, trying to get under everyone's skin. And he does the same thing with the Josh character. And basically, he says, "Oh, I remember your mom," and says the name of her, you know, her name, and is like taunting him about her. So he kills him. <clears throat> you know, he and can't, who wouldn't? He can't help it. So, Madeline Stowe, they, they've kind of, you know, they've started this romance between the two of them. And she gets very angry at him. Says, you know, that's who we were going to... Lily is Drew Barrymore's yeah. character's name. That's what we were going to exchange Lily for. Now we can't do it. And she's all pissed. So he runs... He, he rides off. And before the second guy can rape Drew Barrymore, he busts in and rescue, rescues her. The rest of the girls are coming towards Kid Kelly's hideout because they are going to try some kind of rescue of Lily. They find her on horseback, and they say that she says that Josh rescued it, rescued her, but he didn't get away, that he's been caught. So they ride in there, and you know Dermot Mulroney is like like just beaten, bloody. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a horror show. It's terrible. And he looks worse than uh, Madeline Stowe's character did. Yeah. And he says, where's my dad, basically? And she says he's dead. And he's like, oh, you know, that's a shame. Or whatever. He doesn't 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 seem like he cares. But she says, we'll trade him for the military equipment. Basically giving up the money. And he says, fine. Do that. Bring it in. So he brings it in. They bring it in. They set up the Gatling gun. All that stuff. And he's like, all right, good. So, he lets him go. He's walking towards Madeline Stowe. No, he's not even walking. He's crawling. Well, yeah. It's just a terrible scene. And then the kid Kelly shoots him in the back and kills him. So, they're like, he's like, he throws the money. He's like, this is what you really came for because you're heartless, all this stuff. So, they take the money, the $12,000, and they start to back up. And then that guy that almost raped Drew Barrymore... Um, starts taunting her. This this is the instigation for a lot of things, taunting, in this episode, or this uh, movie. Mm-hmm. But 
she sh- ends up shooting him and killing him. I don't get that either. Like, you're going to shoot somebody. Shoot the guy that actually raped you. Agreed. So, this ends up in a firefight. Uh, long story short, I know it's too late for that, but <laughs> ends up killing the guy. Ends up killing everyone, basically. And they kill the balanced toe. Gets her revenge and kills Kid Kelly. And, you know, obviously she's heartbroken about this guy. They get all the money and they bring it back to the ranch. Somehow, Andy McDowell and this rancher have buddied up enough to where they're going to get married. He basically proposes, you can stay here with me on this ranch and I'll take care of you kind of thing. We found out we find out she grew up on a ranch and she kind of likes it. And so she says, fine, you know, I will, uh, you know, I'll stay here with you. So the, the other girls, they take the $12,000 that's theirs, <clears throat> and they give all the other money that they found from this bank robbery as a wedding present to to the rancher and uh, Andy McDowell's character. And then they say they're going to ride off to the Klondike to, for the, to, you know, mine this gold that this guy was going to do. Because at one point, this is not super important, but at one point, Madeline, Mary Stuart Masterson found out that the claim that she had with her husband is worthless because her husband is dead. Yeah, maybe women can't own property back then or something. I'm sure there, there, uh, there were several law. laws against women in the movie. But anyway, so that's what happens. They ride off. The three of them ride off. Andy McDowell stays, and the movie's over. Kind oh, of. <clears throat> yeah. At the very end, you see the Pinkertons again looking for these girls. And the the people that they've stopped that they're asking are like, oh, we don't know where they are. And the three of them ride off right behind them in the background. Yeah. Making them look like complete idiots. At the very beginning of the film, they start off as the most competent detectives ever. And then they become bumbling morons <laughs> uh, somewhere in the middle of the film and then towards the end of the film. When they're no longer needed as primary antagonists. Right. They become idiots. So it, it, it's very disjointed in that in that sense. But what did you think of the movie overall? It's hard to say. I mean, there were a lot of things I liked about it, but a lot of things I also didn't. Um, I mean, I'd have to say I'd, I'd just rate it as maybe average. It was um, a little boring. There were... It's a long movie. It's about two hours and 20 minutes almost. And it's it's about... It's about a half an hour longer than it needs to be. Yeah. And there are some bad pacing issues in the film. Film starts off with a decent pace, ends with a decent pace, but the middle portion of the film really drags. Not a lot happens. There's a lot of setup for things that happen later. And it's nice when you set something set something up and pay pay it off. But they take way too much time with this stuff. The whole land claim thing could have been cut out almost. Yeah, they could have just <clears throat> been heading to Oregon instead of the Klondike at the end of the movie. And they could have... And they could have... Well, the thing is, like, the whole plan, that whole plan could have been cut out. Yeah. They could have... They could have just... They could have just said, we need to head here to get my money so that we can figure out what we're going to do next. Yeah, kind that of makes thing. sense. And... And then the rest of the movie, it doesn't change the rest of the plot details. So they could have cut a lot of that subplot out. And then the thing they find out to do is go to this guy's gold mine. It would, the film would have been the same. 
But there's a there's a lot that they could have cut out. The film dragged too much. And it really lost me a lot in the middle. Um, also, they make this guy a murderer. Uh, he humiliates humiliates the military guys. He he's clearly a bad guy. They really didn't need to show him rape. Well, they didn't show it. No, it but, was just strongly implied. Yeah, it happened in yeah. the film, but. They, I mean, they didn't need to do that to Drew Barrymore's character to make him even more villainous. It was unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, he beat the hell out of Madeline Stowe. That's enough. And it also confuses it because it's like, well, Drew Barrymore should get revenge on him too, but so should Madeline Stowe because she was incredibly abused at his hands, apparently, over the course of years. Yeah. But, you know, it it, confu- it confuses things too much. And it, it's just, it's cruelty for cruelty's sake. It didn't really, it didn't really inform or drive the plot more. Here's the thing, though, is I think that it's just expected. I mean, this is the Wild West. This is a girl that they know was a sex worker. And she's there alone with five bored guys right. who are assholes. What's going to happen to her? She's going to get raped. She's lucky she didn't get gang raped. That's what was going to happen to her. Yeah, I I agree that that's the reality. But as far as the movie goes, it doesn't. It's just there to pile on. It doesn't. It doesn't make him any more villainous. I mean, it. it I you know it. Obviously, it's just another. He's already at max villain level at this point. So there's no reason for it there it doesn't inform her character or anything in the plot going forward there's just no real reason for it it just seems cruel for cruelty's sake it doesn't seem like it has a place in the movie Um, agree to disagree okay I, i i hate that phrase but okay so you know there's there's a lot that i think could have been cut out of this film and made it tighter and and better so, like, seeing his ass, that whole scene could have been cut out. Yeah. I agree. And her breasts. Yeah. 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 See, that's why they did it, to show her breasts and his ass. I guess, maybe. That, that, I mean, that might be the reason. But, I don't know, like I said, it's it's overly long, it's boring in the middle. There's, I mean, the costuming is good, the acting is really good. Certain elements of the plot are good. But yeah, there's a lot... This is a situation where I think less is more. And I think if they had done less, it would have been a better film. Yeah, maybe. The plot can be unnecessarily complicated. They didn't even need the Pinkerton thing at all. Honestly. Well, I mean, the Pinkertons did move them from scene to scene more rapidly. Yeah, but the thing is, is they could have just been going. They all this stuff could have happened. Shot the guy, go to her the gravesite. Say, what are we gonna do next? I've got money in Texas. Let's go there. They go there. No need for the Pinkertons. She's gonna get her money, but then it gets robbed by this guy that she knows, and he steals her money. Now they need to get it back. Same movie. Same thing. Cut those Pinkerton things, the Pinkerton thing out. Yeah. The motivation to move from the town wasn't necessarily the Pinkertons. It was the fact that they killed that colonel guy. Now they've got to find something else to do. 
they had been prostitutes for a while. They don't want to do that anymore. They make it clear they don't want to be prostitutes anymore. So what are we going to do now? Let's go get this money. Place gets robbed. There's a lot of things that could have been cut out and made the movie tighter. There are a lot of extraneous elements, plot elements to this movie. Okay. That's my opinion. Uh, would you recommend it? Would you recommend people go to the theater and see it? Hmm. Um, I'd maybe wait for it to come out on video. I, I don't think it was one that's enhanced by seeing it on the big screen. And yeah. I mean, like me, I don't really care for westerns to begin with. I, I wanted to see the movie more because of the actresses that are in it. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of like a, a girl power movie. Yeah, a little bit. And, it, you know, for that, I like it. Um, it's if, worth if, a watch. But. If they had explored more the plight of women, especially single women, in the Old West. And you don't have to make it overwrought or anything. You don't have to make it that's what the movie's about. It can still be a fun, well, funish adventure film and western film but inform more of their characterization with that they tried to a little but it's plot threads that are started and go nowhere so i think if they had done that a little more it might have also been a little more satisfying yeah but we will end this episode as we end every episode with our blockbuster pick of the week this week it's been a long wait four years or so but the Ernest movies are coming to VHS, and this week at Blockbuster, you can find uh, Ernest Goes to Jail, in my opinion, the best of these movies. This is another one of those stupid humor things that yes, Carol doesn't like. You've never seen them, right? Any of them? No, I, I, I saw them when I was like a kid, and they were out on the TV. What, the commercials? Okay. Are you talking about like this movie? I remember seeing Ernest on TV. Yeah, he was in commercials. Oh, that's it. That's how he started on TV. Oh, was never in commercials. Mind then. No, I guess I didn't see it. But yeah, he started out as a commercial pitchman, the most successful commercial character ever, probably. But he was in yeah. So the plot of this one is basically he's a janitor at a bank and he wants to be a teller at the bank at some point. He's mopping this floor and he ends up getting magnet magnet powers. <laughs> he becomes magnetic because of a mishap with the electricity. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So later he gets called to jury duty and the guy that's on trial realizes that he looks exactly like his boss, this criminal mastermind. So... He has the lawyer arrange for the jurors to take a tour of the jail. And while they're there, they switch them out so that their criminal boss can get out and be on the jury and taint the jury pool and, you know, make it so that this other guy gets off. So that basically they can all go free. That's how it's going to work. Okay. But Ernest is stuck in jail at this point. Now, what I like about this movie is... I think that Jim Varney is funny. I don't always like stupid humor either, like Carol, but I think that he is, I, I don't know, there's just something about, he's very charming, very, very humorous. There's something about him that makes me laugh. And his whole, like, weird, he's got that accent, that twang, and then he'll, um, you know, he does all those 
he just uses the weird voices and everything. He's very good at it. I, I think he's funny. But he also plays this criminal guy very straight, and he's a pretty good actor, actually, and very intimidating in, in the, the villain role. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I like the movie. I don't, I don't like all these Ernest movies. I think there are a lot of them that are really dumb. But this one, I, I happen to enjoy. So if you like silly kind of humor, even if you haven't seen any of the Ernest stuff, check it out. Take a look, see what you think. It's available at Blockbuster. But that is the Blockbuster pick of the week. Have a good week, (laughs) y'all. See you next time.